them with their leaders and will have their time at church. And today we're going to stay in here. And as you probably know, we've already said it many different times. You woke up this morning realizing that because you're believers, your family, your Christians, you know today is Palm Sunday. But it begins what is referred to as Holy Week or Passion Week. We don't use the word so much today to think about the week that we're in being Passion Week because we don't seem to define passion in a way maybe it was originally intended to be defined. Because when we say it's Passion Week, we don't think about it being the week in which Jesus was to suffer. But it is the week that he was to suffer for every one of us. And passion then does really mean to suffer. So it is Holy Week, it is Passion Week, and today is Palm Sunday. So today we come in recognizing the fact that a very special, significant week that was on us. This will be the last week that Jesus would have in his earthly ministry. Consider for him this week, he would only dine with his disciples for the last time, for the last supper. He as well then would be captured and beaten and flogged, mocked, highly ridiculed, and ultimately crucified. Because in that is the occasion in which we mark this week with all the things that happened to our Lord, it is right. It is fitting, it is certainly appropriate that we gather to not only recall a very well-known account of the triumphal entry, the greatest entry of all time throughout the history of the world. When Jesus rides in on the coast, we'll recall that account today and give it what it should deserve of recognizing Jesus and his glory. But we'll also then later we'll commune with the Lord because it's right of all the things that has happened upon this week, that we gather to recall the account that we've heard before. It's not really the first time you've heard the triumphal entry, but it's right that we recall that account, expand maybe briefly upon it, and then commune with our Lord. So before we do all that, before we read the account well known to us of the triumphal entry upon Palm Sunday, and before we partake into Lord's Supper with the table set, let me place the week in perspective. By asking you, if you will, to reflect upon a rhetorical question. The question is this. What does this week, Holy Week, Passion Week, the triumphal entry, but today being Palm Sunday, what does Good Friday, the resurrection, what does all that mean to you personally? Don't shout it out. Just think about what does that very week, the sacrifice, what does all that mean to you personally? Now, maybe ask a different way, let me say it, but also reflect upon it. Because to ask a different way, the question would be this. Does this week, with the climax of the crucifixion, Holy Week, Passion Week, does this week mean to you more than Christmas? Because it should. I mean, the birth of our Lord is a highly significant event, no doubt. But the fact is the early church didn't celebrate Christmas. I mean, for that matter, Christmas today has become a time, if you will, of self-interest, shopping, sales-driven, money-hungry gift exchange that has really lost its significance in the world which we're living in. It's not about any more of Jesus' birth. It's about what we're going to get or what we're going to give. It's all about the money than it is anything else of what was originally intended. Again, the early church didn't celebrate the birth of our Lord. Now, we get a chance to celebrate it and recognize it, but still, the week that we're in is more significant. 
So again, I ask, what does this week, beginning with today throughout the entire week, Holy Week, what does it mean to you personally when you recall the fact that Jesus gave his very life, his last breath for you and for me? And does it mean more than your wedding day? Does it mean more than the birth of your children? Does it mean more than any career that you ever have or ever wanted? Does it mean more than entertainment or sports and hobbies and baseball and racing? Does it mean, does it mean more than you than any other holiday? Because it should mean more to you than anything else in the entire world. Some of you may recall that back in February, I mentioned that I was a little critical of my employer. I also drive a bus and work for the school system. And I was a little critical of the fact that during the calendar time when I recognized or the calendar I looked at in February, we had some snow days. It did, we didn't get a lot of snow this week, but we, I mean this year, but we did get enough snow where there was a little snow days and makeup days for the school system. So you may remember in February, we had one of those such days, and it occurred, but I also recognized on the calendar that President's Day was not a makeup day. It was a day that everybody was away from school, but it was a holiday. It was a holiday that could not be overridden with the snow makeup day. Set aside strictly as a day off for everything, a holiday, no school, no work. And I was critical because I looked upon the calendar in, January, in April and noticed that, well, Good Friday was also a holiday, which it should be, right? But what I was critical about, if you remember, is the fact that Good Friday was not a holiday per the school system like President's Day. It was a slash. It was a holiday slash makeup day. And I asked the question then, if you remember back in February when this was brought to my attention, how is President's Day more important than Good Friday? Because it isn't. But let me give you the rest of the story. Because the rest of the story is this thing. We, of course, had another day that we missed school because of snow. And resulted in the fact that Good Friday is now not a holiday, but a makeup day. But here's the thing that just rubs me even more, which makes us even more of an issue. That the day after Easter, which is Monday, May 8th, April 18th, is another makeup day. And there's not been any snow. Well, there's been some snow, but not enough. It's snow, you know, snow Friday morning, and it snowed the Friday before that. April 1st and April 8th, it snowed both days. But wasn't enough. Thank goodness. So the day after Easter, stay with me, the day after Easter on Monday, April 18th, is a snow makeup day, and we don't need it. Because there's not been any days to make up. So here is my real beef now. Why couldn't they move the snow makeup day that they had set aside for Good Friday to the day after Easter on Monday, April 18th? Why couldn't they have done that? I mean, they certainly could have. And recognized in Good Friday for the day that it truly is. A holiday. A day in which everything should be set aside and stopped. And recognize as the day our Lord went to the cross for you and me. But no, I'll be working instead. Because now, it's just another day. 
And it seems that this is the way the world is today. I mean, it made sense to make the day after the snowmaking day rather than Good Friday. So it really don't make sense. But it helps prove that Good Friday, the day our Lord sacrificed his life for all of mankind, it helps prove it's really lost its luster. And so the death of Jesus today has become really just an ordinary day in this world. And that's sad. And I hope that's truly not the case for you. And you might be like me, which you have to work on Good Friday, and so be it. But it should be recognized as a very special day because altogether, this week, Passion Week, Holy Week, beginning with the triumphal entry, is a highly significant moment in the lives of a Christian. More meaningful, certainly, than Christmas. Yes, we need to celebrate the day our Lord was born. And we do. We need to have this day, though, that the, the, the resurrection, the Holy Week, be more important than any wedding day, any sports championship, any birthday, than anything else in the entire world. It's a highly important event in our lives. Passion Week, Holy Week, Palm Sunday, the resurrection are essentials of our faith. And this certainly deserves the attention that we shall give it today. Again, it's the triumphal entry, which begins the whole week. Now, the triumphal entry, before we read it, is one of the most unusual times in the life of our Lord. It's a moment in which he receives praise and honor and glory. But a time that he welcomes that praise, perhaps even encouraging a little bit. Maybe you know Jesus, you know he was a humble servant, not wanting to be recognized, but maybe not wanting to be honored and praised, typically shunning those things. But this is the time he receives it, and it's right that he does. So stand with me this morning as we do and recall the text written in Matthew chapter 21. We'll read verses 1 through 11. The text tells us about the triumphal entry of our Lord. Let us read it, receive it, and reflect and ponder upon it. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near, the disciples and Jesus, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Verse 4 says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 6 adds, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, on their, and put them their cloaks, and he sat upon them. Most of the crowd, in verse 8, spread their cloaks on the road. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee, Father. We thank you today, Lord, for how we can gather here freely 
upon a very significant special time in our lives as Christians, believers, as followers of him. Today, Lord, we want to receive this account that we know well. We, we know this account, Lord. But today we want to receive it and reflect upon it. At the same time, then, to give you all the honor and glory and praise that you alone deserve. Well, we deserve no praise, no glory, no honor. For what have we done? But you, Lord, you've done it all. You've given your whole life for us. So today, Lord, we pay homage to you. We honor you. We glorify you. We praise you as you rightly should receive and deserve. Let the Spirit lead and direct us here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, notice that Matthew's account of the triumphal entry, if you know the Gospels, read them all, then you know it's similarly recorded in all the Gospels. It's not just written in Matthew. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are all written about the triumphal entry. So notably then, if you know the Gospels and read them all, you know, well, there are a few differences in some of the accounts between the Gospel writers. For example, only Matthew and John record the fulfillment of prophecy as written in Zechariah. In Zechariah 9, chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's a little bit different word in verse 5, but notice how it has a lot of similarities so Matthew and John both record the significance of how he came to fulfill the prophecy written in Zechariah. So another difference among the Gospels is the fact that John does not actually record the fact that two disciples went into town to retrieve the colt, untie it, and bring it to him. And if you go and look further, you'll notice other differences among the Gospel writers, but don't let that bother you. The fact that there are differences, don't let that bother you at all, because what it really tells us is to get the full picture, to get all the information, everything that occurred in that day and time, you have to read all the Gospels to really receive it in full. So don't let it bother you that there may be some differences in the fact that the triumphal entry may not be the same among all the writers. But while then there are differences, let us focus upon one of the similarities, the fact that Jesus rode into town, into Jerusalem, on a colt. Yeah, some say donkey. There's a bit of a difference between donkey, colt, whatever. But don't miss the point. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a beast of burden, as is worded in verse 5. Now think about that for a moment. A beast of burden. I mean, that's an unruly, ugly, if you will, pack animal. I mean, who does this? Who rides into town on something as ugly as a donkey? I mean, I wouldn't even consider it. Would you, Roger? No. So who wants to ride into town on something as a pack animal? I mean, these donkeys, these mules, these animals are used to transport certain things. But Jesus rides in on one of those. Do you know anyone who makes a grand entrance by riding in on a pack animal? Of all the entrances that maybe you've ever personally witnessed, or maybe you've seen on TV, have you ever witnessed anyone riding in on a donkey? You probably have not. 
Think for a moment, if you will, in the way the president makes an entry. It's not on a donkey. Perhaps it should be, but it's not on a donkey. Or how do championship teams come into their city? You liked that one, didn't you? How do championship teams come into the city when they've had the big victory? I mean, there's all kinds of fanfare for them. They're not riding in on a donkey. For that matter, how do Hollywood celebrities make an appearance at the Oscars? Except for who? Will Smith. He's been banned for a while. But how do the rest of them appear? Not on a donkey. For that matter, how does Santa Claus appear in the Christmas parade? He doesn't ride in on the foal of a donkey on the beast of burden. He don't do it. Not one of these people ride in on the foal of a donkey. They ride in typically with some sort of grand appearance with a lot of pomp and circumstance. They had the red carpet rode out. A lot of fanfare, dignitaries. Maybe a big band even playing music. Not as good as our band, of course. Flashes of photographers. And there's much, much more. The point is that nobody, nobody, nobody makes an appearance as Jesus did as he rode into Jerusalem. Nobody. You can't even go in the scripture and find anybody else that's ever done that. Even in the Old Testament, kings did not dare to compromise and contemplate riding in on a donkey. To do so was beneath them. It's written on multiple occasions in which kings would enter with high praise. Joseph wasn't even a king. He was second in all the land of Egypt. But look at how he wrote in. Pharaoh, in Genesis 41, Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen, put a gold chain about his neck, and made him second, and made him ride second in the second chariot. And they called up before him, bow the knee. As Joseph was going around, people were bowing the knee, paying homage to Joseph. He's not even a king. He's second in all the land of Egypt. Mordecai and Esther said, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let loyal, royal robes be brought to him, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. Let them lead him on the horse throughout the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Notice that Joseph receives fine garments, a gold chain, and people bowing the knee before him as he rides along. Mordecai was going to receive a horse, a royal crown, fancy threads and clothes, honor and praise. The point, if this was the way that Joseph and Mordecai was introduced, surely Jesus, the king of kings, should be presented, presented similarly, right? Wouldn't we think that's the way our king would ride in? Maybe even more glamorous fashion than Mordecai or Joseph, and maybe more glamorous than any king, president, person we could ever think of, certainly more than Santa. But it doesn't work that way. The prophecy was that Jesus would ride in the cult. 
not a stallion, not in a chariot. I mean, it seems to be so wrong when we think about it. I mean, Jesus deserves so much more. Just like it is today, Jesus deserves so much more than the world that barely acknowledges his sacrifice. I may remember, and perhaps you do too, when there was a time when Good Friday and Easter resulted in everything being shut down. And people went to church and gave honor and praise to our king. My aunt was telling me this past week, not necessarily related to the Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter celebration that we're embarking upon, but she was telling me that she remembers when her dad, who lived in Hazleton, went out to mow the yard on a Sunday. And her mom went out and gave her, her dad a what for? It's my grandpa and grandma. So my grandma went out and gave my grandpa a what for? For mowing the yard on Sunday. And so she said he never did again after that. It's just different today. I remember when it used to be a special occasion. But today it seems not so much. It seems that it's lost its luster. It's just an ordinary day, it seems. Honestly, it seems the world gets more excited about an egg hunt than they do the fact that Jesus died for our sins. But Jesus are so much more than the world today than barely recognizes that sacrifice. I mean, they barely recognize that sacrifice. But in the text, there's a little bit of, there's some accolades, at least in that day and that time, at least some accolades given to Jesus. I mean, at least he gets some recognition. Maybe the key word there is some. When you compare all the gospel writers, again, this is one thing they have in common, is they all recognize that Jesus did get some recognition. Some glory was given to him, again, in Matthew 21 and verse 8. It said, most of the crowd, didn't say everyone, most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowd going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Notice how, again, it's some, not all. Even at day and time, some people praised Jesus, gave him honor and glory. Some. But others then did, yes, recognize him, lay down cloaks, their branches. And that day may be suitable and appropriate for Jesus as a red carpet entry. So yes, it's the moment then in which Jesus receives some royal treatment. But it falls considerably short of the modern day honor and praise given to the elite. And when you think about it, we even get guilty of that ourselves. When you truly reflect upon who we give honor and glory and praise to, Sometimes we'll recognize someone for something they've done or some celebrity or some sports figure and give him praise or give her praise and fail to give Jesus praise. So it tells us that shouldn't we as Christians follow the Christ, shouldn't we come to the point where we pause and reflect upon the very special moment? I mean, the day 
that we're having today just begins it all. I mean, the days to come this week, Jesus received a beating beyond anything that we will ever experience in our lives. Now, my mom has beat me. Okay, she's sitting right back here. She has beat me before. Oh, let me let me recall that for you. That, that, there was a special beating, I recall, not to embarrass my mom, it was more of me. But there was a special beating, I recall. I was sick as a child on one occasion. And it came to the point where I had to take some medication, had to take some pills. Well, here's the thing. I didn't know how to take pills. I, I hated to swallow pills. So I was able to convince my mom. She's not gullible, but I must have been really bright, right? So I, I, I had convinced my mom that the only way I could take these pills to get me better was to, you know, take it with a slice of bread. So I would put the pill in the bread, eat it up, swallow it, and be gone, right? Then I told her I had to do it in the bathroom. So out of sight, out of mind. So what happened was the fact that I took the bread, ate it up, took the pill, put the toilet, and flushed it. That was my that was my, basically what I was doing with my protocol. Except one day I forgot to flush. My mom come in there a little bit after that, thinking I had gotten by with it again. She all of a sudden I heard Curtis Wayne. <laughs> I knew I was in some sort of trouble. I just didn't know what it was at the time. So I, she said, come in here. So I went to the bathroom, and she says, what is this? And, I mean, it was a time of confession. I mean, there was a pill right there. What could I do? And I said, um, that's the pill. Did you not take your pill? I'm thinking, duh, it's right there. I guess I didn't take it. And she said, how long has this been happening? So I thought, well, do I tell her it just happened today or to be truthful and tell her the whole time? So I told her, it's been quite a while. So she retrieved the fly swatter. Okay, and I got a beating with the fly spotter. I mean, it hurt, y'all. I was just a little kid. So we're not going to receive the beating that Jesus did, but I come close. But he did this week receive that beating beyond anything that we'll ever experience. You know, in five short days from a Sunday to the Friday, I mean, he would lose his very life. He would breathe his last for you and for me. So it's right that we should pause and we should reflect and certainly stand up for Jesus and offer him the honor and the glory and the praise fit for king. He is our king. Amen. He is our king. He is King Jesus. And it's right that we honor our king. The one thing we can do to honor our king is to shout out his glory, to shout out his name. You're going to see behind me, again, Matthew chapter 21, verse 9. Look at it. It's behind me. Look at it. Look at it. Make sure you see it clearly. Can you see it? It's time for us to shout out our glory to our King. Shout out with me. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. One more. One more time. Out there on Highway 57, they didn't hear you. They need to hear you on Highway 57. Hosanna. To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Praise our king. It is Jesus. Jesus deserves all that glory, all that honor, all that praise. We need to recognize Jesus. He is our king. Jesus Christ, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. We honor him today. We honor him this week. He is the king. 
He is worthy of our praise. You know, thinking about when you when you shout out and recognize the name of Jesus, doesn't that make you feel better to shout out His glory? It should. And here's the thing we need to remember: we need certainly to honor the King Jesus every day, not just today. We need to shout His name every day we wake up. Wake up in the morning and say, "Praise Jesus! He's given us another day." Bring honor and glory to Jesus each and every day. Shout his name every day. I mean, think about it. We can do that with our favorite sports team. Shout out, make fools of ourselves and be glorious to them, but we can't do it with Jesus? I don't know how many of you watch Seinfeld. It's a little comedy show. But Seinfeld, there's one episode where Seinfeld and Kramer, his little sidekick, go to Elaine's apartment, and they're going to pick up one Elaine and her boyfriend and go to the New Jersey Devils hockey game. If you've seen the episode, Elaine opens the door, Jerry and Kramer get ready to walk in, and their boyfriend walks out from the bathroom, and he's in the red jersey, uh, New Jersey Red Devils jersey. He has it on, but his face is painted red and green, and he's ready to go out and cheer his team on. And we can do that very thing in all of our lives. We all have, most likely, a favorite sport and a favorite team, maybe even a favorite athlete or entertainer, and we're ready to praise him or her and give them some honor and glory. We have done absolutely nothing to receive that praise, that honor and that glory. But Jesus has. He alone is worthy of the best praise we ever want to offer to anyone. So today we shout out his name. We recognize him as the king. And furthermore, it's what we're called to do. Peter wrote, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Yes, we should praise Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise our King. But do we? Are we ever ashamed to shout out the name Jesus, to honor him? I mean, how often do you praise the name Jesus? Do you hold his name in high regard? Using his name with the utmost in integrity and honor. Or sometimes do we degrade his name in our language and words and expressions that we use. The fact is that Jesus deserves nothing less than our very best of praise. Our very best praise should be given to our Lord. So today, hold nothing back. Do not be ashamed. Today and every day forward, Praise Him, honor Him, shout out His name. Offer Him the very best praise that you could ever offer. Paul correctly wrote, God has highly exalted Him, Jesus, and bestowed on Him the name above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We should not wait. We should never be ashamed. We should honor Jesus. Shout his glory. 
shout his praise, honor him. We should do all that each and every day. We should not wait. We should do it and do it now. Praise Jesus, our King. Father, Lord, we're so thankful that we can see you such a message today, Lord, that's so, an account so familiar with us. But today, we reflect upon it. Maybe add a touch of insight, Lord, into account that we're familiar with. But reminds us that this is a very special week, even a special day that we're embarking upon. So, Lord, today, we take a moment to reflect upon that. And we simply set aside any of the praise we want to offer to anyone. And we today, Lord, give you the praise that you and you alone deserve. We thank you, Lord, that you took this week for the suffering that you had. And today, because of all that, we can rejoice together. We stand before God. You are our advocate. You took our place. You took our beating. So today, Lord, we're eternally grateful and thankful. And we honor you. We praise you. And we thank you. Let's reflect upon that on this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now today, as we have had our recollection of the triumphal entry, another way to honor him is to commune with him. So we're going to take a moment and the table is set, the elements prepared for us to commune with our Lord. So I want you to reflect upon your life, your situation. Do you have any kind of unconfessed sin in your life? Because today is all about honoring him, praising him, and glorifying him. The table set behind me is not our table. It's the table our Lord had prepared by the bloodshed, and by the body that has been broken. So it's for all believers everywhere. But I, I beg you to make sure you stand before God today as clean as possible. So before we do so, let me read what Paul tells us. Because we won't bring any condemnation upon ourselves and don't want to dishonor our Lord in the sacrifice that he made. And Paul put that in perspective. In 1 Corinthians 11, he said, whoever Therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. We put guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let then a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. We should not want that for any of us. And we certainly don't want to dishonor the Lord in any way in the sacrifice that he made. So stand with me this morning as we do to examine ourselves, as Paul kind of has directed us. Examine your life. Examine your situation, your coming and going, your words, your thoughts, your expressions, your sin, and bow your head right now and cleanse yourself. Seek the forgiveness. Come to the altar. Come to commune with our Lord with a cleansed heart. And when you then, in your situation, perhaps you want to move, put your family together, whatever is appropriate for you in your situation, when you have cleansed yourself, then the table is set for you to come and commune. As you're bowing and praying and cleansing, 
we have the bread, the bread broken for the forgiveness of our sins, prepared for us this morning. And we have the cup, the cup, of course, representing the blood, and the blood being shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So I pray over the elements and put a blessing upon them. And when you have then cleansed yourself, you come to partake and to commune with our Lord and participate. Father, we come before you, Lord, just so thankful, as we should be, for the very week that we're in and for the sacrifice you made. So today, Lord, we come together, we pray like, like Nehemiah did for all of his people. When he prayed for not only his sin, but for the sin of all his countrymen. So, Lord, collectively together, we as a family of believers, we lift our sin to you. We ask, Lord, you cleanse us. As David, as David said, cleanse us with, with hyssop, Lord. Purify ourselves, Lord. Cleanse us. Take away our sin, Lord. We confess our sin today to you. We are sinners. We do not deserve what you give us. But we're thankful. And today, Lord, we offer our sins to you. We ask you to forgive us for we fail you, for our faults, for our flaws. Cleanse us today, Lord. When you have prayed and you feel cleansed, and you're ready to partake and commune with our Lord. The cup of the blood, representing the blood, and the body, the bread broken, is prepared waiting for you.